Hashtag Never Alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 3 Episode 5. I am your lived experience host Joe Ambridge. Um, unfortunately, I'm not joined by Mark today um, as he is away. He'll be back with us next episode. Um, today's episode obviously has been the first in a while. Um, I have actually been away, so I do apologise that we haven't recorded any. Um, we've got a few announcements to make that I will be featuring on the What Makes You Happy podcast on the 21st. And Mark will be featuring on the Kimberly Cloud show at some point. We're not sure what date yet. We haven't confirmed dates. But we'll be making a few guest appearances um, and today's topic is uh, addiction which is a topic we haven't focused on yet and obviously doing road to recovery that's one topic that probably has a recovery journey that we can discuss i am actually joined by our first guest in a while um jess kennedy thanks for joining us jess thank you very much for having me very excited to be here well, thank um yeah just tell us a little bit about yourself in regards to addiction yeah. and mental health really your journey yeah no worries um so I'm uh, 37 years old now um I'm just hit my two years clean um from uh drugs and alcohol um after many 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 relapses <laughs> so it just formed a really big part of my story um but my problems with um with substances and addiction started um at quite a young age around about 14 um and began to amplify um, quite severely in my 20s. Um, my uh, sort of substances that I kind of went into was mainly drinking initially. Um, I was uh, the first time I ever drank at about 14 years old, I, I blacked out, which is normally a fairly, you know, big sign that, you know, you're, you're heading towards not a great path with, um, yeah. with substances, things along those lines. Um, as the years progressed, my drinking got worse and worse, um, to the point where I turned to drugs in order to help me not be such an insufferable drunk person. Um, and then I kind of had this switch where I realized that the drugs were actually doing a lot more for me, um, you know, beneficially than the alcohol was. So I started to switch and then it became more about taking drugs um, in a high-functioning way, for many, many years, I ran a financial, um, very high-level financial position um, at a company in the UK for a number of years whilst um, under the influence of um, a lot of heavy stimulants. Um, I went through, you know, uh, marriage breakdowns. I went through almost bankruptcy. I lost jobs. Um I stopped and started on and off um, many, many times. Um, I had periods of abstinence and, you know, my life just continued to sort of lead me back um, to using again. And I was in a really vicious cycle for probably about 15 to 18 years altogether. Sounds like you've been through a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty that's a very small snapshot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when did you first like kind of notice that you had a bit of an addiction and to either of them, to drugs and to alcohol? It was um look, there's a lot of um bliss in ignorance. Um, so you know, for a very long period of time, 
I didn't think I had a problem at all. Um, you know, I thought I was absolutely fine because I was working, I was successful, I was, you know, being promoted at work. Um, my version and and you know again which you know in hindsight now I see is a very stigmatized version was you know I'm not that person laid on a park bench homeless drinking using I'm getting up and I'm going to work every day and you know I'm, I'm doing my job so I didn't really think I had a problem and it was probably when I was about 28 or 29 that I started to realize that things weren't quite right and that the way in which I took drugs compared to the people around me was very very different so whereas they could have you know a little bit of cocaine on a night out I'd be using it consistently for an 18 19 hour period um it kind of started to twig that maybe okay I think I do have a problem um and that's when I began starting to address it yeah um so what steps did you take to kind of go on your road to recovery? So for me, my, my road to, look, I think it's important to, to point out that everybody's recovery journey is completely different. Um, their journey to the point of using their journey throughout their recovery is, you know, and no one's path is exactly the same. It's not a linear, a linear journey. And I think with, Every relapse that I've had over the last 10 years, I learned something new about myself and the way in which I could change the way in which I would, you know, adapt myself to my recovery. So, you know, the very first time, which was back in 2014, um, I did what we call a white knuckle <laughs> sobriety where I just cut everything out cold turkey and I was just like this isn't working for me I'm just gonna stop um I didn't know at the time how dangerous that was for me from a health perspective and that you know really I, I could have just dropped dead purely from stopping but you know I, I was very lucky and I didn't um I did that time I stopped with zero support um and all these issues around my mental health started to kind of rear their heads that I'd been numbing out and, you know, not realise that I had. I became a very anxious person, um, lots of different mood swings, lots of, lots of things came up that I wasn't expecting. So when I inevitably relapsed about two and a half, three years later, um, that relapse was coming about seven months before I took a drink. <laughs> you know like I, I I was already making excuses in my head for reasons as to why I would be it would be okay for me to relapse and I started to create those scenarios and so inevitably a very small thing happened um there was a confrontation and it, at work it was over something very simple and that was just a straw that broke the camel's back and I went on a five or six day bender and didn't come home um and then when I came home I went and saw a doctor this time and said, okay, I'm, I'm not well, I need some help. Um, they prescribed me benzodiazepines to help with the level of anxiety and panic that I had. Um, and as a result, I became very heavily addicted to those, um, sourcing them from doctor after doctor and eventually from the internet um, to the point that after 
three or four months of extremely excessive use. I was having seizures and overdosing. Um, again, just, you know, very, very lucky to be alive at that, at that point. Um, stopped again. Um, I did it. I actually, that was the first time I actually visited a drug and alcohol service. And I, the first person I saw was a peer worker um, with lived experience. And that's what I do now. I'm a lived experience peer worker. And, um, and that peer worker had been through a, a benzo addiction himself. And he explained to me, look, you, again, you can't just stop. He said, you need to taper off. And he worked with my doctor on how to taper me off because the doctor had no idea. Um, so that took about sort of six months worth of, you know, slowly, slowly coming off of them altogether just to protect um, my own health and well-being. Um, after that, I, um, I decided to start, a, to start doing things for charity to, um, you know, give me a reason not, not to use. I, um, that charity that helped with that drug service that helped me, I went and walked across Spain for two months and raised three thousand, four thousand dollars for them. Um, you know, to, to benefit them, there's a like a thank you. You know, to um, get them to you know to get them some help. Um, but again, I still didn't address any of my mental health issues. I still kept kind of pushing everything to the side, um, and then eventually it would be my mental health that would come back and be my undoing again. Um, when things kind of finally hit, I think when you're going through addiction, you hit, you know, just hit one rock bottom, you'll hit, you know, seven, eight, nine. It's not always the worst one that'll get you, but, um, but you know, everyone hits different ones. And the, the final one for me was I was sat on my kitchen floor. I used to live in England and I was sat on my kitchen floor at four o'clock in the morning and I'd sold everything I owned. I didn't have a job anymore. And my next step, you know, I was walking past cars, getting ready to rob them, looking at people walking down the street, thinking that can I get some money that way? I was in so much debt to so many different dealers in the area that I lived in. And I sat my kitchen floor this morning in April of uh, 2020, just as the pandemic was really kicking off. And I was like, I'm either going to go to jail or I'm going to die. Um there was kind of no no in between um so I reached out for help and I was someone got me back into Australia very quickly I, I said look if you don't get me home I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live it's it's either I come home or I die um and they got me home um I detoxed in hotel quarantine um which was you know a very not very pleasant experience and but when I came out of that quarantine I thought okay I've got to do something completely different this time because I can still still get drugs in Australia it might not be as easy but I can still get them and my approach this time was to was to dig into my mental health um and I uh I was very very lucky I, I went had a great um GP a doctor that I went and saw I explained to everything to he got me in with a psychiatrist who I spent a lot of time with and I was very lucky because I'd been to see psychiatrists in the past in the UK asking them for help and they labeled me a drug seeker and wouldn't give me any help and this psychiatrist who I saw saw straight through my addictions and was able to diagnose me 
correctly with the disorders I was quite clearly using the drugs for um, and then put me onto a treatment plan. Um, that was in, yeah, in July 2020. Since, you know, those diagnoses, which I'll, I can go into in, in a bit, um, were, were once I was diagnosed, once I was medically treated, once I'd started doing psychology and kind of all these things started clicking together, I'm more confident now in my recovery than I've ever been. Um, and it's because I've got all the right things have clicked into place now, I think, from a medical point of view. Yeah, it's all about having the right tools and the right, the right person or support to kind of push you in that direction. Um, Absolutely. Do you feel like you've got a good, other than that, do you feel like you've got a good support network to like family or friends to be there and help you? Absolutely, yeah. So one of the things that I learned, especially through active addiction, so I guess I don't ever call it pure recovery, I suppose, when you're when you're an addict, because I guess you're kind of always going to be in some kind of addiction. So it's sort of just whether it's active or it's deactive. And so when I was in active addiction, the people I had around me were people who were good for me. Um, they weren't people who were ready to support me or, um, you know, have my best interests at heart. Um, I think a lot of them only had me around because I was drunker or higher than they were and therefore they could compare themselves to me and not feel so bad about themselves in a way. Um, now I keep I keep my circle pretty small. Um, I only have really positive people or people who lift me up um, in my life and also people who won't take my shit and kind of you know um, kind of call me out and be like come on um you know I um I I, I got married um last year and I inherited a fantastic extended family who have been more supportive to me than my own family have ever been um and you know they they've accepted me in with open arms knowing my full story and you know, and they've just done nothing but support me the, the entire time. And I think, you know, there's all, all these things that you can do in recovery. You can pull yourself out of the environment. You can have all these medical interventions. You can go for runs. You can do weights. You can do all kinds of stuff. But if you've not got good people around you, your chances of maintaining your recovery is very, very small. Yeah, very, very similar to mental health as well, being with the right people around you. You're always going to end up a vicious spiral. I've definitely found that with cutting people out of my life that weren't probably weren't very good for me. Definitely like because I'm originally from London and I moved to Australia and I fell out with a few people and just cutting yeah. them out of my life and realized that, okay, maybe they weren't that good for me. It's mm. helped massively, like because I don't have them knocking me down anymore. They were called themselves my friends, but weren't really there to be supportive absolutely yeah like that yeah 100% I think like yeah when you start seeing things in a different light you really do start seeing people for who they really are I mean you know it's and some of those people can be very close to you they can be members of your own family and at the end of the day if they're not good for you and who you need to be as a person in order to survive and maintain your sobriety or your your um your mental health or you know if they if they're not working with that then unfortunately you do have to start to distance yourself from them and that can be very difficult um but a very important step yeah um 
what are some of the coping strategies you use? Um, so there's a there's a few things I I do. So um, one one thing I do is I rescue dogs, oh, <laughs> which that's is beautiful. yeah. So um, and I draw a bit of a parallel between. I think rescuing dogs and coming out of addiction um, and kind of the stigma that's around both. So I guess, you know, um, with an addict, um, you know, criminalizing them, beating them down and putting them into a box, the same as everyone else is not, not something that helps them. Whereas if you show someone who's trying to get into recovery, love and support and patience, you know, you, you thrive, you completely change and it's, it's no different with rescuing dogs. You know, I've, I rest, I recently rescued a very big giant dog called Delilah, who's a, oh. uh, a, a bull Arab. And, um, you know, she spent her first five years of her life locked up in a crate. Um, was never allowed to be a dog. Um, she was at the shelter for eight months. No one wanted her. Um, so naturally I adopted her knowing she would be you know the probably the most challenging dog I could have adopted but you know it's we've had her now nearly three months and you know the day we got her she would cry and you know have accidents and run away from a plastic bag whereas today I've got this beautiful loving like mature and almost confident dog um who has is just incredible and so the parallel between the two is actually you know quite quite confronting in a way as you watch it happen it's like oh my god it's exactly the same thing that kind of happened to me so that's that's one of the big things for me and animals in general I find are very important to have around me you know for support I don't know if you're the same oh yeah we've got dogs definitely makes you feel better having dogs around yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I guess that's probably the main coping strategy for me is yeah, it's having having the dogs and um and you know having them as part of my life. But the other big thing for me is is um being an advocate for um recovery and removing a stigma around addiction. So when I was seeking out help for when I realised I had a problem no one else I knew had a problem so I thought I was the only one um and for years that was how I felt you know through my first three years three three years of, of, of recovery and it wasn't until I started to do a little bit of research and started to see people's blogs online and Instagram pages and Facebook posts where people were really open about their recovery and I was like okay cool all right I'm not the only one that's really helpful so I do that now so I'm very very loud about my journey I'm not I don't have any shame in my past and who I was because I know I'm not that person anymore um but I know what it feels like to be that person um so removing stigma around addiction um and any kind of substance misuse is a very big thing for me um which is uh, why I've recently joined a campaign called um, Rethink Addiction through Turning Point um, in Australia. Um, And uh, Rethink Addiction launches on the 3rd of August at 4.30 p.m., which I can send you a link. um, Yeah. Um, And that campaign is really about 
the people behind the addiction um so it's like you know someone like me it's like you know I I love dogs I love music I, I love tattoos I love all these things those are the things that make me up and then I also have a problem with ad- addiction it's that's not the only thing that I am um and that's what the campaign is about it's about saying you know we aren't just our addictions we are people as well yeah Mm. I really love what you said about reading other people's blogs and then realizing you're not the only one and that helps you it's very similar to like I did a self-esteem workshop when I spoke about about a bit on the podcast and going to that and there's people that like these people that probably look like they play rugby or something and thinking oh they won't have it at that stage in my life I knew I was well aware of like anxiety and stuff but I especially it's happened to people like me and then I saw these people that like look like their life could be perfect and then they're talking about how they're struggling with mental health it's like what (laughs) yeah and it happens to everyone it doesn't matter who you are it's it's the same with addiction probably and like does help seeing other people that you know you're not alone yeah absolutely and and I mean in the work that I do now so I'm a I'm a lived experience peer worker so my my job is literally to talk about that I used to be a drug addict so um you know like you know when you write a cover letter for a job and you try and say all the great things that you've done in your life my cover letter for this job was just pretty much like don't let my resume fool you like this is everything that's happened to me um and what I do in that service is if you know someone makes that really brave step to come into a drug service and I'm telling you right now it is the most difficult thing you can do in active addiction is walk in and say to a complete stranger I need help um I stand in that service at turning point um in Melbourne and I'm there to say hey welcome like you know let's have a chat um and they'll start talking to me and I'll say well you know actually I've been where you are and it creates a sort of it's like a clinical position but it's more of a social connection so you know whilst I can say very confidently that the clinicians that I work with have no stigma around or any judgment as someone coming in for help you automatically assume that you are getting judged um yeah so that's where it's being a peer worker is I can help people feel a bit more comfortable about talking about what they do and so you know, doing doing all that stuff for all the things that have managed to keep me, you know, standing and strong, um, and and keep me feeling really confident in where I am. Yeah. Um. So, for if you were to meet someone that's struggling with addiction, what kind of advice would you give them to kind of start their road to recovery? I guess, look, again, everybody is really different. So I guess you don't, you don't treat everyone the same. But I think the first thing I would say to them is that you're not alone. So you're not the only one going through this. I said, I would say to people, I say to people what I wish people had said to me, (laughs) to be honest with you. So I think of all the things that people said to me that made me feel really bad about myself. And I say the opposite of that. And I tell people that they're not alone. Um, that people do recover that you may relapse and that can become part of your story and that's okay if it does the important thing is is that you come back um it doesn't mean you're a failure um I also just you know just get people to try and understand that you know if you're suffering from addiction 
it doesn't mean that you're worthless. It's just that you're not well. You know, you, you, there's a part of you that's not very well at the moment and that needs to be addressed. It's no different than having the flu or COVID that I'm just currently getting over. You know, it's just something that happens to people and needs to be yeah. addressed medically. And when it is, that's that's how you start to get a bit better. Um, so that that'd be that'd be my best level of advice to people is just, you know, you're not alone. 100% you're not the only person going through it there are loads of us um, and my last question unfortunately we've got time limit this week so I've got Mark but <laughs> sure um, what, what's your favourite piece of advice in regards to mental health there's so many that I, <laughs> that I can think of um, I reckon it's just find a way to get out of your own head Everyone's got their own way of doing it. So I have bipolar, ADHD, anxiety, panic. Um, you know, I'm like a, a walking, walking billboard of, uh, you know, things for mental health. Um, and one of the things that I've had to do is, you know, I don't like to go for a run. People love to go for a run, um, you know, to kind of help with their mental health. And I don't run unless it's from a bear. Um, so, for me, um, so for me, it's about like, okay, so in this, in this second right now, um, how do I get out of it? Um, how I'm feeling. And I will just, the way I do it personally is I will just put on music. And I'll just scream at the top of my lungs and pretend I'm in like some punk rock band and just anything I can do to kind of just get out of my brain. And you just have to find that one thing that you can do that just makes you just take your mind off it instantly. So it might be that I grab giant Delilah the dog and take her for a quick walk, or it might be that I turn my music on like really, really loud and sing along. Just something that can just get you out of that moment really quickly. Um, and it's also important, I think, to remember, too, is that especially if it's an addiction side of mental health and it comes to relapses, you know, cravings, drugs, it's kind of the same as mental health in a way as well, generally only lasts for about 20 to 30 minutes, you know, when you're in that state. And if you can get through those 20 to 30 minutes, you're going to be OK. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we send those links for us and I'll share them with our listeners. Um, and then when I finish editing and stuff, I'll send you the link for the recording. Um, thank Perfect. you so much. It's been really inspiring um, hearing your journey and what you've been through and that you're using it to help other people is really inspiring. It's like, so I like, thank you. I like thank to hear from people using their own experience to help other people. And then there is that stigma around addiction and around mental health that kind of needs to be, to be gone and be <laughs> extinct. 100%. Hundred percent. But I will. Um, I'll send you through the link for the campaign launch. It is this. Um, this Wednesday. Um, I don't know if the episode comes out before that, but if it doesn't, um, you're welcome to join in. Um, it's just a web link. It starts at four thirty, and you will see Delilah the dog on <laughs> on my uh, my video that's on there. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a pretty big, pretty big thing. So, perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Joe. And thank you to everyone for listening. Mark will be back next episode. Thank you, guys. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You will find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritans, suicide helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says.
and there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone but there's always someone there for you to talk to be it a friend a family member a stranger a psychotherapist or a doctor there's someone to talk to i've been in that position before and talking to someone really does help it's okay to not be okay and i will see you in the next episode